Welcome to the Fired Coaches Podcast with host Marcus Weger. Each episode, we take a detailed look into the trials and tribulations that college coaches had to go through in their career, reflecting on what matters most. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on Twitter at Fired Coaches Pod. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. Bonus episode here of the Fired Coaches Podcast. We have a new host for the evening, Mark Keller, one of the greatest young men and former basketball players at Marion University that a guy could meet. Well, we'll see how he does as a host, but he's going to ask some questions based on four-year roughly period at Marion where we were both a part of a team that was literally the worst team in the league record-wise and flipped the script within four years to become the best team in the league. So we'll kind of go over recap and into some details of those four years. So Mark, how are you doing tonight? I am doing good coach. And thank you for those kind words. I think they're a little too kind considering my basketball career or lack thereof at Marion, but I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. I've been looking forward to flip the script on you and have the host uh, kind of go back and take a trip down memory lane and recount some uh, good memories. So looking forward to it. I didn't want to go too much in detail about your tennis career, but we'll save that for another episode. So, um, yeah, what do you got first? So I know that you had uh, briefly touched on in a previous episode of this podcast, which I am an avid listener to, but you had touched on the beginning of your coaching career and your time up at UW-Superior with Coach Polkowski. And then you had touched on, I believe, your transition to uh, Carol as well. But let's pick it up there and kind of start with your transition back to Marion and how that all kind of worked out. Yeah. So I was with uh, coach Buchanan and coach Polkowski, uh, coach Flora, coach Coltis up at Superior um, that first year, basically after graduating from Marion, then I was afforded the opportunity to become the graduate assistant at Carroll, um, which was a very coveted position. And I don't even know how I got it to this day it was you know, lucky in terms of getting that. Um, at the time it was under coach Schultz who stepped down just a few days later. And then coach Buchanan got the job. Um, at Carroll, leaving Superior, and Coach Polkowski came down, and Coach Haas was on staff, who had a lot of success at the high school level with Wauwatosa East, coaching Devin Harris, and just a great group of guys, and we had a lot of talent on that Carroll team, as I touched on in one of the prior episodes, and at the end of the year, with the master's program, which I was in, like an education program, which I knew going in, um, it was a, a quality program. I was doing very well, but I wasn't extremely driven you know, in the classroom from a sense of that I felt like I was going to get getting a lot out of it. I'd been a sport management major and, you know, everybody was like, oh, just get a master's, get the piece of paper. And I really wanted to have it of a value to me uh, and kind of learn something. So between that and getting engaged that year to my college girlfriend, who's now my wife, she was living in Fond du Lac and um, kind of realizing like it's maybe a time to start making some money in my life a few years out of college decided to kind of make the jump back to Marion um, in the spring of, which was 2010 then. And when I came back, it was, you know, just kind of a mode of trying to find a job and uh, had an IT minor when I was at Marion to go with my sport management degree. So I got a job at the help desk at Marion. It was a kind of a full-time role that had just recently opened right before the school year started. Um, so I knew enough to be able to jump in and kind of help out with that. I mean, just shortly before that, I was working part-time at East Bay, if you remember correctly. So I was working at the call center in Oshkosh. That was just kind of my first starter when I got back there, which 
that job proved to be pretty interesting and, and tied into you directly. But yeah, I was kind of getting back in the Fond du Lac area, just looking for something. And the, the thing opened up on campus, which I was looking for to get something on campus. And then obviously it was going to help out with basketball. Um, so I sat down with Coach Boyle and, you know, talked with him and Coach Draves and Coach Monroe, who obviously I had played under and then just knew that I could fit in in some role just because of our relationship with each other. And I knew, you know, obviously the recruiting side of what I kind of did at Superior and Carroll, I figured I could help out there. Didn't know what I could do on the floor and all that kind of stuff because these guys have been around forever. Um, but anyway, I could kind of help out with recruiting and then just kind of figure out the rest as we went along. No, it's good context. And I, I do remember very vividly that phone call. I believe you were recruiting my brother and I at the time and we had placed an order at East Fan. And didn't we get hooked on the line with you? And Yeah, uh, so I remembered it that summer you guys were going to become high school seniors in that 2010 going into 2011, your graduation year. And so summer of 2010, I remember you guys visited and I had stayed working part-time at East Bay. I can't remember how long it was, but it was somewhat into the school year. I want to say like September, October. And I remember I was training somebody at East Bay. And I, again, I wish I knew the numbers on this, but I know the chances of getting a call through that call center nationally had to be like so slim because I remember in the six months that I was at that call center taking calls, there were probably, I don't know, I mean, in a shift that I would work, I probably took somewhere between, I'd say 50 and 70 calls, let's say, and that's just a guess. And obviously you do that over a six month period. And I remember maybe 70 to a hundred of those calls being Wisconsin people, you know, cause again, you're, you're working for East Bay, but the overriding branch at that time um, had just kind of cha- transitioned over, if I'm not mistaken, to Foot Locker, who owns East Bay and everything now. So it's all under that branch. So you were, you know, even though East Bay is originally founded and still located in, in uh, Wausau and has a call center in Oshkosh, you were getting calls from all over the country. I remember I was training somebody that night and it was towards the end of my time and the phone call came through. It was you talking, if I'm not mistaken, it was you and I, I don't know, maybe your mom was around too. And cause you had just started football cause you weren't going to play football senior year and you just started and you were looking for cleats. And I remember I'm training somebody and obviously etiquette wise, like you don't, if you would happen to know somebody, which again would never happen, even though it did in the circumstance, you know, you don't, you don't break etiquette. And so I'm sitting there training this person and the whole time I'm sitting there like in my head, like you gotta be kidding me. And then thinking like, should I say something? And I'm just like, nope, nope. I'm just going to play through it there. So like, that is still one of the probably craziest things that's ever happened in my life. Where again, the chances were literally like probably like getting struck by lightning or winning the lottery, you know, you calling me. So we obviously had some good jokes weeks later when I creeped you out by telling you that I took your order for football cleats, but uh, yeah, it was a pretty crazy story. Yep. Definitely a, a small world, but uh, that was pretty funny looking back on that now. So you talked about joining Marion coming to uh, campus around the spring of 2010. So I know we wanted to focus the majority of this podcast on that special 2013, 14 year, but you want to talk about some of the early years at Marion, how your transition was and, and maybe the, success or lack thereof that uh, started at those early years at Marion? Yeah. I mean, I think that transition was obviously like I just kind of mentioned working with, you know, Coach Boyle, Coach Monroe, Coach Draves was, I think, seamless on my end because again, I knew them so well, you know, playing under them for four years, being away from campus for a few years, but still obviously in communication to somewhat and showing up 
you know, didn't have obviously any expectations, just trying to figure out who the new guys were. Josh Washington didn't happen to be a senior. Uh, Phil Brown, I'd played with Josh. Uh, my senior year, Josh was a freshman. So kind of that whole full circle coming back and coaching as Josh is now a senior. And, you know, we, we had some talent. Um, there were some younger guys in that team who obviously happened to become seniors in that 2013-14 season. Cody Veliki, Sam Kozlowski, um, Elon Solvik's on that team, Charles Ruffin, who didn't last all four years at Marion. But we had some really quality guys. The toughest thing we had that first year in going 4-21, and which obviously was probably one of the worst years I've been a part of in terms of a record in a coaching standpoint, but really like we were in the mix uh, pretty much every game. And there were 11 games that we were, uh, we would fall in by 10 points or less. And those games were a lot closer than that. I mean, there were some really single digit games and we just didn't know how to win. We had some guys again, that were a little bit green, that were freshmen that had some talent coming out of high school or had some upside. Again, you look at Sam and Cody alone and become thousand point scorers over their four years. And you look back at their film freshman year and, in some cases, you'd have wondered how they become thousand point scores, but they were just so young, you know, they were trying to figure it out as everybody else was. And so it was tough. And you just, you know, you get all of a sudden in a roll of losing streak. And I remember there's some games late in the year where we had chances to win and we just create some turnovers, take some bad shots, couldn't get stops and chalk up another loss. And all of a sudden, I, I think on one of the previous podcast episodes uh Hugh Hernisman a volleyball coach said like the losing was in the walls at a program he had took over and in a sense at that time like it kind of was just that year because guys didn't know and it wasn't for a lack of effort it just was a lot of different things altogether so I think coming out of that year and obviously you know bringing you and Mike in your brother Mike Keller you know I was over a ton of times watching you guys I felt like I probably could have saved money you know renting a, a condo or a duplex or something like that I'm over in Oostburg if they even have those there but, um, you know, I knew how important it was to go after you guys. And I think the entire staff did just because of what you could bring in a basketball capacity, but also what you could bring in just a person to the program. I mean, you guys are two of the greatest guys ever. And again, could associate to anybody. So, you know, getting you guys to come in and acclimate, um, Jake Coonan coming in from UW Fox playing for Coach Rubbis, Alex Gomez from, you know, Belvedere, Illinois, uh, Richard Kennard, just adding certain pieces in of guys that, could play multiple positions, had a toughness, understood team basketball, just layering some of those guys each year, you know, meant so much. And that 2011-12 year, I think we increased our win total by six wins and we won, it was like seven to 10, like late in the year. I remember, um, you know, your freshman year and stuff like that, things got off to kind of a slow start. Coach Boyle was out for a little bit earlier in the year there and everybody was just trying to figure out everybody, you know, we had a new group come in, a lot of new freshmen and late in the year, then all of a sudden we kind of start figuring it out. And it's just one of those things where it's a little bit too little, too late, you know, you kind of run out of time, but again, carrying that into the 2012, 13 season, it's just all that momentum. And again, just that consistency and continuity. And that's the biggest thing I, I think I learned is obviously there's always been the narrative that you win with seniors or you win with upperclassmen. And that's true. But also when I did a study a few years back of just returning more than half your roster, you know, the years that we returned more than half our roster, our win total spiked the year after. Any year that we didn't return half our roster, we lost more games than we did the year before. And, you know, looking back, especially at Division Three, that matters so much um, because, again, you don't get to work with your guys in the offseason a ton. And so if guys can understand what you're preaching, if there's that continuity of guys 
being able to lead one another in the gym, coming back and understanding all the terminology, whether it's offense, defense, just team culture. I mean, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense why that would continue to go in the right direction. So then that, you know, which would have been your sophomore year, Alex Decker, who had been your point guard in high school and Drew Benversi and Brad Coth and Carvel Oliver, you know, getting Alex, obviously probably one of the hardest workers in coach Boyle's entire career. I mean, the guy is a machine, love the guy to death, but getting him and Drew in and, you know, Drew had been conference player of the year in the Olympian. And he was one of the top rebounders at like six foot six one and just so smart and was really under recruited. And I think we kind of benefited in a few different situations where some of those guys wanted to go, not necessarily play elsewhere, but really wanted to see what else was out there. And a lot of programs just didn't give them the time of day, whether it was on a visit, you know, didn't want to meet with them or just, you know, wanted nothing to do with them really in general. And that's where we kind of benefited out. I think just kind of staying staying the course, you know, showing as much interest as we could. So it was interesting though, over those three years, all of a sudden at 2012-13 season ends and we have 15 wins, we're 10 and six. We won, I think, 12 out of 14 games late in the year. And it was just like that previous year, except that we kind of figured it out sooner. And so you could kind of see, and, and you could speak on this too, because I'd be interested to hear your perspective. But I just feel like each year, there was just that momentum and you could just feel it continuing to build. I guess I didn't know where it was going to go or, you know, what the ceiling was per se, but it just felt like we were just continuing to layer more depth, more intelligent basketball players, good people. And it was just all starting to come together. Yeah, no, I think one of the points you touched on was just the continuity and, and having, you know, returning more than half your roster or at least a, a core group of five to six players that you can really build on and, and change that culture, change, you know, the culture of losing within the walls or on the walls. I, I think that's that continuity can really turn that around because a talented player or two can add another win or two, but to, to have a core group of five to six players that you can, you know, rattle some wins off at the end of the year and, and build that confidence and belief in one another and understand how to play together, I think is so important. So yeah, you could definitely, feel that both from that 2010, 11 to 2011 to 12 and 2012, 13, I think each year we kind of built off that and had more success. And, um, you know, I, I think most of the guys on our team would definitely agree with that heading into that 2013 and 14 year that that belief was rising. And, and, uh, it's kind of my, my next question too, but just looking back at those, uh, early years, was there anything beyond that continuity that we had discussed that stood out to you as, reason to believe in some high expectations or have high hopes for that 2013-14 season? I think looking back, and I'll give Coach Boyle a lot of credit there, like he was always, again, you know this, everybody else that played for him, even coached against him. I mean, he was really the same guy all the time. So, you know, there were those seasons where, where we struggled early on. Maybe it took a little bit to figure it out. But it was never like, oh my gosh, we gotta get this figured out like now the panic mode. It was just always the same thing. Um, whether it was offense, defense, just on the day to day, what to expect. Now, once in a while, obviously you might've, you know, got a little bit excited and if we need, you know, kind of a push in the right direction, but for the most part, he was pretty consistent, which again, I think for the group of guys that we had, there was always that understanding of what was going on. There was never a surprise. There was never a, what kind of a mood is he going to come in today with, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I think again, providing that, because again, you, you look at a lot of other coaches, whether 
you know, obviously younger or newer ones, or even some other ones, you get into situations where you start a season off and, and you're one and six or you're two and seven or oh and five or whatever it is to start. There's a, a, a lot of, could be a lot of concern, a lot of, are we doing this the right way? Do we need to change stuff? So I think staying with that um, in those multiple years, help that success later in the year where we, you know, win seven out of 10 or 12 out of 14. So I think, you know, coming into that 13, 14 season, I mean, obviously bringing in some key individuals, Josh Creed being one of them looking back. And again, it was just to my wife, but I kind of had a feeling that summer that I'm like, this could be our year. And again, it's one of those things that you say it, you don't, you don't absolutely have a clue. Unfortunately, we didn't have you that year because you got a triple major going on and internships and everything else, which obviously has more than paid off for you being out of school now. But again, I think that was part of it though, too. Like you stepping away that you're due to schoolwork and, and losing some, some individuals during the year, whether it was injuries or some adversity that we had, like we had so much depth and you, it's one thing to have depth, but you also have to have guys accept those roles and those roles changed. So throughout the year, we, we got guys, we got, you know, Alex Decker, our starting point guard, he gets hurt on a freak injury in practice. Elon Solvik, who is now technically a senior that year, who had battled through a lot of injuries, just comes on and is playing like Luca. I mean, he's like unreal out there. But then he goes down with injury, right, as uh, Alex Decker's coming back. You know, Alex Gomez had his role shipped completely throughout that entire year and played great down the stretch. Carvel Oliver came on down the stretch. You know, Brad Koth, who I had seen play a lot in high school I and mean, was kind of the, the unsung hero on a Winnicott team that, you know, Austin Riff had got a lot of attention because he was a really good basketball player. And Brad always kind of knocked down the shots as kind of that second tier guy. So when he came by us and he wasn't necessarily the first or even second score, I mean, he's a sniper in the corner. I mean, just all these guys that, you know, probably at other places could have gotten more time, but it happened to be where they fit the roles. And obviously everybody else, you know, um, on that team, especially those 3000 point scorers, Jeff Harris, Sam Kozlowski, Cody Veliki, your brother, Mike, obviously just, you know, being rock solid and just everybody else in there, they just accepted roles. I, that's the one thing I probably learned in all my years of coaching is you think on the front end, it's so easy for people to accept roles and just figure it out. But it's literally the hardest thing in the world, um, especially in a basketball season, because it's not, you know, it's not football. It's not, you're playing nine or 10 games and you're just in a fall. I mean, you're going from, you know, you know it, October to early March you got Thanksgiving, you got Christmas in there, you got two semesters, you got grades, you got everything. And so that stuff is always in flux. And so to be able to figure it out, that's truly rewarding. Again, not just from a coaching perspective, but seeing guys that are willing to kind of give it themselves. Yeah. And I think that season was full of adjusting roles, people accepting new roles and that change throughout the season. And I think that speaks to the leadership on the team, you guys as coaches and I think that was a big part of the success, especially early on. You had kind of touched on some of those injuries and changing of roles. Um, you also mentioned how, you know, even in previous years, as well as that specific year, I think we had gotten off to a slow start. I think the team started one and three, and uh, but there was no panic. And I think there after that, that you guys kind of went on a run where it was like 15 of 16 in a row. And um, as those changes or as those roles change and roles were accepted, I think. Uh, the leadership that was provided was a big part of that. Anything that stood out to you either start of that year, middle of the year, anything else you want to touch on there? No, I think that's a great point because again, it, it goes back to 
again, that would have been the time. And again, I don't think our mentality was that way though. And again, obviously it was driven from coach Boyle, but yeah, we're one and three. We obviously have that exhibition at UWM, which was super beneficial. I think we were, if we had a team that could provide some sort of a test to a horizon league opponent, that was the year. So that was a great experience for the guys. And then, you know, we go to that tournament at Bethel in Minnesota, where we play Luther, who had a really strong team that year and Eau Claire. And we lose to both of them by two in hard fought games and a couple balls bounce a different way, you know, on rebounds, shots, whatever, you know, we, we are in that championship game there. And looking back, that tournament was probably the biggest, I don't want to say turning point, but spoke so much of what we could do that year. Because again, both of those teams were extremely physical, obviously, a, you know, a WIAC team, but even an Iowa league team. And then I think it helped benefit us as we went into that NCAA tournament as well, just knowing that like, you know, we could play with those teams, even though we didn't win them. And we walked away with almost feeling like we did win those games in a sense. Um, it wasn't a huge letdown, but yeah, I mean, again, we go, I think it's one and three to start the year and we finished 22 and seven that year. So we obviously played a lot of good basketball, but there were a lot of different things. You know, we have that, you know, those battles against Aurora, and we played at Aurora right before Christmas break. And it was like an NBA game. There wasn't a lot of defense either way. I think we lost like 106, 101. It was just crazy. I mean, I've never seen uh, fluid basketball with shots like that in person at the Division Three level where, yeah, I mean, just everybody was hitting shots. And then we played them on senior day. And I think we were up eight with uh, a handful of minutes left and really in control the entire game. And we ended up losing. And I know internally and – I really thought that was going to be a turning point in a bad way for us because we had never beat them, you know, in the last uh, few years. And that was, that was tough because we, we had that game. Uh, we obviously had a good crowd that day. I was late in the year and we stubbed our toe that way. And then we went and played MSOE at MSOE and just didn't play well at all either. And so like those two games, looking back as much as, kind of thought like well maybe this isn't going to be a good thing it actually helped us because so it kind of got that you know whether if guys were thinking like oh we're rolling or you know what if we lose a game it was it was out of our out of our system you know which actually helped us for the better and then obviously that uh, knack tournament once we got in and won the league that year beating concordia on a buzzer beater to technically secure the outright bid then we played wisconsin lutheran at home in the first conference tournament game and unbelievable offensive display and then we play Aurora. We finally beat them at home. And then that Edgewood game, which was just a dogfight back and forth. Edgewood, I think, was like a seven seed that year. Had yeah. knocked a bunch of teams off. But obviously, you remember some of those guys. They were just gritty. And, yeah, I mean, lucky to kind of – lucky, but also, I mean, we deserved it too, to walk away and, and get that win. And it's just, you know, you look back. And even in that moment, like you tried to. I remember that night, you know, after we beat Edgewood and you're going into a tournament, you don't know who you're going to play and all that. And you're trying to soak it in, but it just, it goes so fast. It's crazy. You know, and then you're thinking, your mind's not even thinking like, oh, let's cherish this, right? Like, let's, who are we playing? Like, how long are we going to stay alive? All that kind of stuff too. So that's what, it, it, it's crazy, but it does, it goes so fast. And then you look back and you're like, well, that's 2014. It's now seven years later. I mean, just crazy. I was going to ask too, did you have like a, a sense like after that championship game after securing the bid for the NCAA tournament of that moment or was it tough to kind of embrace it just because you're already you know focusing on the NCAA tournament and preparing 
for that game. No, I did. I did remember, like, I think I've always had a, a pretty good perspective that way of trying to be like, Hey, like try to live in the moment here. But I do remember Jason Murphy, who was the AD at the time. I remember him after, you know, we kind of got done celebrating and all that. And he's talking about like all the stuff, you know, the NCAA requires for NCAA tournament and all the different regulations and stuff. And it was just like instant. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, dang, can't we savor this a little bit? Like, do we really have to do this right now? But that's just how it is. You know, like you went on a Saturday and all of a sudden selection shows Monday and you're playing the next week. So it's just always something. Yeah. It's like one of those things that you really want to take it in. But again, as a coach, you're just like, Oh, we're on to the next one, you know, right. Same thing with players, right. You're like, Oh, you got 24 hours and then you got to get out of your system, which, you know, you look at it and you wish it could be differently. But again, too, if, if you treat it that way, where you're going to truly celebrate every single win to the absolute max, you're probably not going to have a lot of success either. So there's that fine line of understanding where your feet are and, and preparing for the next one too. But obviously with Marion, I mean, with your career, with your playing career at Marion and then coaching at Marion all those years previously and not having a lot of success, it must have been nice to have, you know, and experience that and get to the NCAA tournament. I believe that was only the second time in Coach Boyle's career. And it was interesting because, you know, my playing career, which not anything to write home about, you know, didn't start a game, but was a part of four years and team captain for a few years. Those four years that I played from 04 to 08 were actually very similar to the 2010 to 2014 in that, you know, 04 to 08, we were kind of a lower end team. Those first few years, my freshman and sophomore year, and then junior, we got better. And then senior year, you know, ended up taking second that year to Aurora, but it really just continued to go on, you know, on uphill climb, you know, Jordan Van S, your brother's teammate and close friend in high school, who was my college roommate, obviously had a lot to do with that, but we also had other guys too. And it was the same thing. Like we had a lot of depth and just guys that came together and clicked. And I know we had some talented teams my first couple of years in college. You know, we even had maybe more talent than we did my junior and senior year, but guys just couldn't accept roles. And I think that happens at a lot of places where teams just don't achieve to what you think they can. So, yeah, I mean, really, truly capping off that 2014 season, you know, conference tournament championship and a conference regular season championship. I mean, that was that was awesome. Heading into that game against Stevens Point, who I believe was the number one overall seed, or at least one of the best teams in that tournament. Any thoughts or memories as to what your expectations were heading into that game and uh, how the team was doing? I remember when it came out that day, I don't know if you were in the coffee house when they did the selection show, but when it came out and we were, I feel like one of the earlier ones, like it didn't take long for them to kind of pick our game, let them, let us know that we were going to point. And yeah, I think Point at that time was the number one team in the country. And I just remember seeing and everyone was like, you got to drop the pin in there. Like, oh, we got to go play Point. And that week of practice, I don't really remember a whole lot on how that went. But I do remember us going to Point. Thursday's practice was, was just absolutely the worst practice we had that year. I mean, by far. Obviously, you walk into Quant Fieldhouse at Point, and it is kind of intimidating. They have all the championship banners. They have all the NAI titles. They have Terry Porter, who played in the NBA for a long time. They have his photograph out front. And I mean, it's all there for a reason. They, they want to celebrate the success, but they also want to show you like what's going on there. So I just remember that was one of those two days. I can't remember which one, but just punting balls all over the gym, turnovers, not shooting it well. And it just kind of gave me that feeling of like, you know, oh boy, this could be, this could be kind of ugly. And that game could have been obviously anything different than that. You know, there was another moment where Cody Veliki, um, right before we went out for warmups at the end there, 
talking about matchups and who he was guarding. And I remember coach Monroe just telling him like, Hey, just guard, you know, like we taught you all year long, like don't change anything. And Cody's face went from, you could see really like a stressed out, like uncertain to just, uh, it, it literally just like brought him back down. He's like, Oh, okay. Like, like, I'm not going to like overthink this. And Cody, he was the best guy in that court that night. And so it was things like that, that you just, you know, little coaching pieces that, you know, you could always take down the road. The words that coach Monroe had said were hundred percent perfect to Cody, because it's just like, do what we always told you, you know, like we're not, we're not trying to do anything crazy here. And that's what he needed to hear, you know, just kind of relaxed him. And obviously like growing up in that area, being from Antigo, the first college basketball game I went to was my senior in high school and Whitewater was playing at point and Whitewater won a four point game. And that was kind of the first time I'd seen Wyack basketball in person. And it was just a really, it was a dog fight. And I was like, you know, I knew I was never going to be able to play at point, but I was like, this atmosphere here and everything is awesome. Just going there. I mean, I was probably the most jacked up out of anybody. I'm like, let's go. You know, like I never knew that that was going to happen. You know, those four years coming back to Marion. I mean, I just remember the starting lineups, like they always get the fans get up and start clapping. And it's really, again, it's not this intimidation factor, but again, if you're not used to it and obviously point draws very well, it can be like, kind of like, holy cow, this is big. But for us to come out, I think we had a six point lead at half, just never one moment in that game where we scared, concerned, anxious, whatever you want to use the term. Even when we had, you know, at the end of the game there, I think there was like two minutes left and, and we go down four or five. We have a couple turnovers. One of those things where if you're viewing from the outside, be like, oh, you know, the underdog, they were, they were there, but you know, it's over now. And then we come right back and hit and then have multiple shots really uh, between, between Josh Creed's jumper and obviously Jeff Harris is at the buzzer to win it. You know, we have just a couple shots. And I remember when there was like 30 seconds left before Josh put that shot up. And I do remember, you know, Alex Decker dribbling the ball across half court and everybody's standing in quant and we're down. I believe we were down one um, because I think they came down and hit a free throw then, but regardless, we're down one or two with the ball and the shot clocks turned off. And I remember being like, just sitting there on the bench, here we go. Like, this is what you like, again, you want that moment. You don't know how you're going to get there or how it's all going to work out, but just like, just feeling that was like, this is big. So in a lot of ways, disappointing, but if you told anybody at the start of the year, like, Hey, you're going to have a shot to beat the number one team in the country on their home floor in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed in that either. So it was a great run and just pretty remarkable. You know what those four years kind of did just in terms of a turnaround. I do remember that game up at point, just the composure that uh, the team had. And I remember, especially down the stretch, I feel like, you know, in the first half, uh, there were both on both sides, there were some jitters and obviously the first game of the tournament, but it seemed like in the second half, I remember that we had more composure and that like, just looking around, even just quant, like point fans were even more nervous just because they could feel like the momentum turning and, Definitely a close game all the way through right down to the last shot, but uh, definitely a unique atmosphere up there. And uh, looking back at that season, whether it's that game or, you know, kind of the things that we had touched on previously too, is there anything that stands out that made or contributed to that season being so special and why? I just, again, I don't want to stress on it too much, but I do think it was just people adjusting to roles, accepting roles. Sam Kozlowski, Jeff Harris, Cody Veliki, 3,000 point scorers. And you look back to four years earlier when we're four and 21. I mean, 
they almost didn't have a choice. Like they saw the other side of it. And now you're in that moment where, as you know, you've been through it. I was through it. A lot of other people have been through it as a senior in college, them having that previous experience, but knowing that this was the end. Each had a, had a little different thing. I mean, Jeff was a six man and he had started every single year. He fit in perfectly. Sam Kozlowski, I'll give him a shout on here. Finally started playing defense. Cody Veliki just continued to, you know, Cody's biggest nemesis was probably himself of just maybe not thinking like he could be at a certain level. And again, that point game just set it all for his career. I mean, just how talented he was in and out and defensively and all that. And, but again, it was those guys that everybody else could look to obviously your brother, Mike, but everybody else just like when they look to juniors and seniors on that really good team, like that was a great example um, set for them. So I don't know if that there was anything like any magic thing that I look back and I'm like, man, it was really special because of this or that. It's just, yeah, people bought in. Yeah, I think that buy-in was key. I mean, throughout the year, but especially down the stretch, I think that led to you guys peaking at the right time and playing your best basketball um, literally up until the last game of the year. So um, I know like like you had mentioned that, you know, if you would have told – or if you would have been told at the start of the year that you were had a shot to beat point in the first round of the NCAA tournament, it would be tough to, you know – try and turn that down but is there anything that looking back that you would have done differently given those opportunities are so few and far between just looking back at the year itself or that game anything in particular hindsight's always 2020 you know what I mean like there's just so many things that I'm always like well if you would have did this would it have turned out worse or what you know I mean like you can always say that stuff I think looking past that season you know obviously going into your senior year when you came back in 2014-15 and those following years you know, we did have a, a quality amount of talent and I think in, in some ways underachieved. And so I think like the biggest lesson learned or looking back, it's like as tough as it is to build something, it's even that much harder to continue it. You know, and all of a sudden, like, again, not to say whether it's roles or just guys in the wrong spot or different things like that, just how tough it is really to keep that consistency. And that's where like I think there's some real hallmark programs out there that year after year continue to do it. And that's like, that's the hardest thing in the world. But again, doing it in one year is extremely difficult as well. Cause there's so many people that don't get to an NCAA tournament. It's tough. Hindsight's 2020. You always look at stuff and yeah, the past is always, you can easily fix things that went wrong in the past, but I think that's how you learn and grow too. You go through stuff like that. It makes you that much better. Um, not that you want to go through tough times, but adversity and, you know, what brings the best out in people. I think you had kind of just mentioned some things there too, whether it's, you know, the difficulty of sustaining success, but anything else of that season, leaving a lasting impact or how did that impact your coaching career going through that season and experiencing that success and going forward? I think it was just a validation in some ways. Again, not to say that you hang your coaching career on one year as an assistant where you guys had a lot of success, but there was some validation. I think again, of just getting the right people on the bus. Like, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, in recruiting, you got to recruit blenders, you know, people that just fit in really well, which again, like you and your brother were and Gomez and a lot of others, but I think quality people attract quality people too. So if you've got good people in your programs, sometimes you don't need the most talented people. Obviously everybody wants that I'm the most talented player out there. But again, if you get, quality people around each other and you continue to stack that on each other, it's going to go in the right direction because people are going to work hard for each other and get along. You know, again, the, the recruiting depth that we had, 
because there were some kids that that didn't make it in those four years that were extremely talented but I think the fact that we had enough depth recruited with that same class we didn't miss a beat and I know sometimes in recruiting you may bring in a class you think is really talented and all of a sudden two of those kids leave and you don't have two others behind them to fill that void and obviously it kind of writes the story for itself so I think just having again that depth not that you want to over recruit because there's a fine line between that you can't just bring in 10 or 12 guys a year and expect things all to work out you got to do it the right way but you also have to have an understanding that you have to have your bases covered as well well because this is the fired coaches podcast and i have listened to previous episodes i know one question that you routinely ask is what do you do to get better and i'm curious as to your perspective on that whether it's other podcasts you listen to books you've been reading um, anything that you uh, look to, to to get better as a coach, leader, et cetera. Yeah, I struggle listening to podcasts and maybe it's because I put so much time into this one. Um, so I can do a lot better job at listening to podcasts. I would say Ryan Hawk, James Clear, David Perel, um, they all have newsletters that come out weekly that are not necessarily sports related. I would say Ryan Hawk and is more sports related. He's a former college quarterback, he's actually AJ Hawk's brother. So he does a lot of kind of professional speaking leadership conferences. So his stuff tends to be a little bit more sports-ish, but it's also leadership driven. James Clear is a lot obviously about habits and kind of just ritual weekly, daily tasks and how you kind of handle things and what you can do better to improve your day. And then David Perel is actually just completely outside the box. He's more of just a writer, um, but just his thoughts are very interesting. And that's where each year I think I've gotten better with kind of stepping away from the sports world and trying to view things outside the sports world and how they can tie back into coaching leadership. I also try to read The Athletic quite a bit, a website. There are a lot of really great writers across the sports industry. And there's always usually an article or two each week that comes through there that highlights coaches or highlights programs and just really gets some great details on certain things to see you know, what they, what they did recently, what's a new trend, what didn't work, try to build on those and just compile a list of things that I think are important. And last but not least, uh, which I'm genuinely curious about, what is in store for your future? Uh, I know it's been a crazy past 18 months and there's some transition in there, but what are you looking forward to in the future, whether it's coaching, personal, professional career, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, it's a good question. I uh, don't know that I have the right answer for it. Yeah, so now coaching's kind of out of the picture for now. Having a kid and having a niece, so I'm kind of the father figure for. And then doing this podcast and working full time, it's, uh, it's kind of enough for the plate. And obviously, I love coaching. Just recently, actually over the weekend, attended a wedding. There were a lot of former athletes that I had recruited and or coached. And you see people and you hear stories and you just, it, it really does rejuvenate, re-energize you in that direction. Uh, but I think right now there's just focuses otherwise with the family and not to say that, you know, again, I'm young enough that I can obviously get back in it someday. But for right now, I think I'm kind of good just taking a break, kind of relaxing a little bit and uh, putting the perspective on the family more so. Totally hopefully, fair. Hopefully, hopefully getting together with you sometime. I would agree with that. And that's very respectable answer as much as I would like to see you get back in coaching. I, I know that you have a lot on your plate right now and that's very respectable, but just want to thank you for the impact that you've had on my college career. I, you know, you always come across as just a genuine person 
got a lot of passion and you do things the right way. You're, you're in it for the kids. You're not in it for yourself. And that's such a, it's an intangible that so many coaches want to have and possess, but few can do it in a very genuine manner that gets across to, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds. But that was very evident in my time playing for you. And I definitely appreciate that and the continued relationship. So thanks coach. I appreciate that, my man. I, um, I don't know how much I owe you for saying that, but uh, <laughs> that means a lot. I don't think I can get you any East Bay shoes if that's what you're <laughs> England for. <laughs> no, I appreciate you sitting down and we'll have to, uh, I think you're probably a lot better host than me. So maybe you can just run with this thing from now on and uh, kind of go from there. I doubt it, but I've definitely enjoyed uh, listening to the Fired Coaches podcast. I think uh, a lot of people get a lot out of it and uh, looking forward to continuing to listen and watching you continue to grow this podcast. So thank you.